It's a joy to gather with you this morning. Um, I think it's important to say something this morning. I'm so thankful for those that lead worship for us, and it's, it's a surprise to many people that come new into this church that this church has no full-time employees. This church has a handful of part-time employees. I'm a volunteer. I do this for one reason and one reason only, and that's that I love Jesus, and I feel called to do this week after week. And it's the same thing with Emily and with Katie. They're full-time moms that serve here part-time because they love Jesus. And the people that run our sound do it because they love Jesus. And it's awesome. It's not. We never come here to perform. This is never a performance. And many churches in our day are eat up with that. It's a performance. And this is not a performance. We come here for you to honor Jesus from your heart. And I want you to do that. And I I believe there's a great sense of God's spirit with us this morning. We pray for more of that. That every time that you come to this place, that you would be greatly affected by God's Spirit. That when you come in, that you would be able to leave and say, I have authentically been in the presence of the Lord. And that I'm different today than when I came. And so a part of this working is volunteers. This place does not run by a group of professional people that do everything for you and then you come to events that they put on. This church functions by you volunteering and being a part, not only coming and hearing and receiving, but being active and doing with other people in the church what needs to be done. And so one of the wonderful things that's upcoming, one of the things we're doing this month is we are trying to make aware make known to you what are the, those needs. And so in the, at the welcome table, there is a sign-up sheet that has all the different volunteer categories of this church and things that we need for people to do. And if you're not doing something actively in this church, we want you to go take a look at that list and sign up. Because I guarantee you that the Lord God would have you to do something in this church, to serve your fellow man, to be a part, an active part of what is happening in this church. Um, one of those things we're blessed with, because the Lord keeps bringing us just the right people, just the right time, and we're so thankful for Andrew Mines, who's one of our deacons, um, who is also a commercial uh, building contractor who is going to oversee the renovation of our new uh, area. So the Lord has answered a prayer that we needed more children's classroom space, and so the building that is diagonally across from us We have signed a lease to rent the first floor of that building, but it needs some renovation just like this did. Those of you that were here when this used to be a ratty old grocery store uh, and became this, it didn't become this without the people of this church painting these walls and cutting holes in the walls and building it and doing what happened to make this what it is. And so we're getting ready to do that 2.0 in the new children's area. And so we're going to start this Saturday If you uh, are not a person that's going to get up on this stage and sing and teach, but you know how to build things and tear things out and do stuff like that, then sign up back there on the table uh, and come and join Andrew this Saturday. There's going to be pretty much every Saturday for the next six to eight weeks, hopefully less than that. We're trying to have it done It just became available. We're trying to have it done by the time children are back in school so that when school kicks off, we can kick off children's ministry in the new building. So that's this Saturday. Uh, Six to eight people, we need a trailer and a truck as well. We're in Daniel chapter 7 this morning. Daniel chapter 7, and the dominion given to the saints. 
If you have not been with us before, you missed last week a little review of the prophetic vision that is happening here. This is Daniel under the reign of Belshazzar, a Babylonian king, and the Lord giving to him a vision of the future and something that's going to happen and how it's going to happen in some way. And part of this vision is the symbolic four uh, monsters or creatures that relate to the four great kingdoms of the world. They're violent, they're angry, so much like the kingdoms of this world that all come to power through violence and they all come to power through struggle. But they only last a time before they fade away and are destroyed and are eclipsed by some other kingdom. These four kingdoms as the kingdoms that led up to the time of Christ. And in the midst of this vision is the throne room vision of God the Father, the Ancient of Days, seated upon his throne of judgment, a a, a throne of flame. And then the Son of Man, Jesus the Son, coming into the scene and being given dominion by God the Father. Dominion being the power and authority to govern and control and to take away from the kingdoms of this world, the dominion that they feel like they have, and it's given to Jesus. But what we're going to find in this passage today is this fascinating, fascinating thing, that Jesus then gives that dominion to the saints, to the church, to those that are redeemed. And this is something that I think many people don't, they've never seen before, or they've never considered, or they have never understood from God's word, and it is so important. The kingdom of God is mentioned over and over in this chapter. The kingdom of God is glorious, as expanding, as reaching all people, all nationalities, all language. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that is everlasting, a kingdom of God that is never decaying, never conquered by another kingdom. The salvation of Jesus in our time is seldom spoken of in this way. Usually, when people talk about the salvation of Jesus, it's a very, like, Jesus and me personal type of a thing, which it does begin there. But we need to understand that the kingdom of God and our salvation is much greater than this, and that Jesus himself, when we read the Gospels, spoke constantly about our salvation as a part of the kingdom of God. If you've not noticed that, sometimes when you reread the scriptures, you're like, I never noticed that before. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God all the time in his ministry. One of the typical passages of this was the the rich young man that comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus basically tells him, you've got to give up the thing that you love the most in this world, and you've got to love me more than anything. And he calls upon this young man to, to sell the things that he loved, that he might love God more than anything. And he doesn't do it. And he walks away. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter what? The kingdom of heaven. Over and over, Jesus summarizes or puts the context of his salvation in this idea of a kingdom. And those that are either in this kingdom or those that are out of this kingdom. And that the salvation of God is framed in the same way that we see it here in Daniel from different perspectives. The salvation of Jesus Christ begins with our personal relationship with Jesus. The gate is narrow that leads to life, and people come in one person at a time, one decision at a time, being reconciled to God through our sins being forgiven. 
We are justified before God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are declared not guilty before God that we might have peace with God and fellowship with him and a real, true, personal relationship with God. But this is the beginning of our salvation. And our, our salvation is much more expansive than this. There is much more to our salvation and it's very important to our worship to look at it and to see how it is that it's bigger and more encompassing than this. We quickly get to the idea that salvation also encompasses our adoption or our being not only declared not guilty before God, but being brought into the family of God by being declared one of God's sons or daughters, that we are like family and that's a huge step from being a stranger and an outsider to being one that's brought into God's family. The scriptures tell us that we are given an inheritance, a place prepared for us, a place where we belong, which is what family is supposed to be, a place where you feel welcomed, a place where you belong, a place where you know you should be, a place that is in fact in the presence of God. And this is the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, as we'll see this morning and many other places in scripture, we are not only given a place, but we're given a role in this kingdom. And this is something much, much bigger than ourselves. Something eternal, something glorious, something communal, something relational, and something that is good. In Daniel, we see a vision or an understanding of God as we go throughout this book that is a big understanding of God, a high view of God, if you will. There are a great many people in this day that have a very low view of God. The way they understand God is, is very small and pretty much just like them, but maybe a little bit, big, little bit better. But God is different. He is huge. He is glorious, and his grandeur is much bigger than what we think it is initially. And the Bible, in the book of Daniel, gives us a high view of God but it also gives us a high view of salvation. It takes our understanding of where salvation begins and it expands it into something that is eternal and glorious and so much bigger than we thought it was when we began. And so I think the question before us this morning as we read Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 through 28 is what is to come of those who believe in the Son of Man? He who is given everlasting authority and power to rule the nations. What will become of us who believe in him? Well, let's please stand this morning to honor the Lord as we read his word. From Daniel chapter 7, we're going to read verses 13 through 28. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me, and I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretations of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Verse 19. 
Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, in which devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up uh, before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth and spoke great things, and it seemed greater than its companions. And I looked, and this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, as Daniel is seeing this, this vision... Uh, given to him by the Lord, which is not understood by him, which I think is very important. It, it is not something that is apparent to him, not something that is clear, but something that must be revealed to him or made known to him by God. And only some of it is made known to him. Some of it remains a mystery to him and to us. But he asks because he wants to know. He says in verse 16, he wants to know the truth about what this means. What is going on here? Like As we read this, we're like, what is going on here? Well, the same thing for Daniel. What is happening? What am I seeing? And he asks God for the truth of these things. And that is an important question. What is truth? What does it mean for something to be true? It's, a, it's an important question then and an important question now. The truth is that which agrees with what is real and factual. And it's important that we not lose sight of this because people today often say that they can create their own truth. But that's the very opposite of the definition of truth. Truth is that which is real or factual. The opposite of truth is something that is a fiction or a fantasy. Fiction is something that's made up from the imagination, something that is not real, something that exists only in the mind of the person that thinks about it. And there's much confusion in our day as to what is real and to what is only make-believe. But Daniel knows and Daniel understands that he cannot create his own truth. And so he asks for an understanding of what the truth really is. He wants to know from God what is actually happening. He wants to understand what is real and what this vision is actually saying about the future. And so the beginning of the interpretation in verse 17 is that these four 
creatures represent four kings or four kingdoms in the world. And well, I'm not going to revisit what we talked about last week and the weeks before that, but twice we have here in Daniel two visions that relate to four kingdoms that are one, Babylon being the one that he exists in, and then three more that will to come that are not unknown to him, but now as we look back through history, we know that there were three more great kingdoms. There was Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome, this all-encompassing massive empire that comes destroying all the world and bringing under its rule all of the known world. And so verse 18, he says this, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. So we have two things going on in this vision, an unfolding of what's going to happen in the kingdoms of the world and the way in which the saints are going to be persecuted and struggle in this world. And then we have the end of all things. And this points to the end of all things in verse 18. And it is so important that we grasp what is happening here. The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Well, to understand verse 18, we have to begin with what is a saint, understanding what the saints mean. That word means holy ones, or ones that are set apart. Anything that is holy is set apart from the normal or the evil or the sinful things of this world. God the Father is declared by the angels to be holy, 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 thrice holy, thrice removed from the things of this world and separated from the wickedness of it. And those that follow after Christ, those that come to salvation in God, we are also declared holy. Because as we follow after Christ, what happens to us? We are separated from this world. We are to be those that do not love the things of this world, but instead love the Lord Jesus. In Christ, we renounce the things of this world. We do not love the world nor the things of the world. We have a change of affection in our heart that when we come to Christ Jesus and salvation in Christ Jesus, we don't love the same things that we used to love. Those of you that have been Christians for a long time and look back at who you were 10 years ago, like, man, my, everything has changed. And if you look back at where you were 10 years ago and now and you see that you're basically the same person and you, in fact, actually love the world more now than you used to, you should be greatly concerned about the state of your heart and what is happening. Because those in Christ are called saints because their allegiance has changed. Their place of belonging has changed. And they are no longer in this world. They are not of this world. And so Philippians chapter 3 gives a very, very interesting summary of this. Paul writes about this. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. He says this, speaking to Christians, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So it speaks a little bit about this dominion of Jesus, able to subject and change all things, to transform them to become what he would have them to become. But the first statement is about belonging. Our citizenship is is in heaven, which means that our final place of belonging, the place that our hearts truly and ultimately long for, is not this world. It is heaven. It is to be with the Lord Jesus. And this is absolutely important. A longing not for more of this world, but a longing to, in fact, be delivered from this world. Paul says this. 
He says, I long to depart and be with Christ. But then he says, it's better that I be with you, that there's fruitful labor left for me. There's ministry more for me to you until I go to be with the Lord. But I'm not trying to hold off heaven. I want to be with the Lord Jesus. We're pilgrims passing through this world. We seek the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We seek a heavenly city that the scriptures say whose designer and builder is God. We want to see Jesus. We believe by faith that he exists, but we want to see his face. We want to be in his presence. And this is the longing of every true Christian. And so in verse 18, it says, The saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom of God. This receiving of God's kingdom is something that is progressive and is unfolding along with the salvation of God. In verses 21 and 25, we see two different hints toward the rulers of this world making war with the saints and prevailing over them. Verse 25, the rulers and kingdoms of this world wearing out, it says, the saints for a period of time. The kingdom of God is something that is progressively being received. So you know, there's much debate, and I understand that there are other people that will preach this passage and will spend 90% of the time trying to understand which king relates to which prophecy and what time, times, and half a time means. I am not going to spend my time on that this morning because I don't believe that that is the ultimate thrust of this passage. The main point of this passage is to see this, that the kings of this world, and I do believe these various you know, horns related to this beast, this is talking about the, the kingdom of Rome is my understanding and the many different rulers that rose and fall over the hundreds of years that Rome existed and there were many of them that wore out and persecuted the church, whether it be Nero or Diocletian, each one of these times that the church was under great persecution, people came to a breaking point where they felt like they just could not take any more and then the persecution wanes and it falls off. And the Lord strengthens his people again. And then persecution comes again. What it, but what we must understand is that the ultimate pointing of this passage is to the end of all things. The ultimate end of Christians. Because we are still receiving the kingdom of God, which I'll talk about more in a moment. But if you want to look for believers being worn out and prevailed upon by evil governments and warring things in this world, you can still find it right here today. If you go to Afghanistan, the few believers in Christ that are in that country are literally being worn out by an evil government. Every day facing such persecution that they don't know what tomorrow, how they can even face tomorrow because of the struggle of it. You can go to North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, many other places in this world where Christians are still being persecuted ruthlessly every day. Similar to the way that Christians are persecuted under Rome. And that persecution will not fully end until verse 18 comes to pass, where the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess this kingdom forever and ever. Verse 22 talks about dominion, a very important word that we're going to camp out on some this morning. Dominion being given to the saints by the Ancient of Days. So after this thing with this Rome or this, this beast and this struggling of the saints, it says, until... Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given 
for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Those who tell you that victory and overcoming in the Christian life comes from within yourself and by your own strength and by the power of positive thinking are both themselves deceived and are deceiving you. This great victory that comes to the persecuted people of God comes when the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, gives them this victory. The victory comes through God and is given to us by grace because he loves us and is caring for us. As Mitchell Chase says this, chapter 7 reminds us that the victory of the saints is inseparably tied to the victory of the Son of Man. The responsibility of the people of God is not to achieve victory, but to live in light of Christ's victory. The saints conquer the accuser, quote, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death, Revelation 12, 11. The call to the saints is one of endurance. And so what I want you to see this morning as we look at this, this vision of things to come, both in this world and into the next, is that the kingdom of God is both coming, inaugurated, and sure. That our salvation, that we have been both saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. Let's, let's look at the kingdom of God. In this passage, we see that the kingdom of God is coming, but it is not yet complete. It is inaugurated with the coming of Jesus Christ, and yet it is not completely fulfilled in the time of Christ. And when he ascends to heaven, there is more yet to come. And yet the kingdom of God is sure. It has not yet fully come to pass, but we believe by faith that it will come to pass, and we're given a, a perspective here as to how it will come to pass fully in the future. And as we are in the midst of this, in our salvation, it is important to see that we are also in this progression, if you will, that we have been saved. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have confessed your sins to Jesus, then you have been saved in that you have been justified. You've been declared not guilty before God, and that when you die, you will enter into the presence of the Lord. But we also know that our salvation is not complete because none of us are made perfect. So in another sense, we are being saved. The Bible calls this sanctification, that we are becoming more like Christ each and every day as we make progress in this salvation that we have received from Jesus. But there's a final sense in that we will be finally and fully saved one day. The Bible calls this glorification. The time that we will leave behind all the struggles of this life, sin and temptation which dogs us every day, and sin will be fully removed and we will become glorified in a way like Christ, entering fully into God's kingdom and leaving behind this world. And so there's a progression a progression to the kingdom of God, a progression in the salvation of our own lives, and there's also a progression in the salvation of God's people collectively as the church. The church, or God's people, have been redeemed by the work that Christ did on the cross. There's one work, one finished, 
complete work. We don't re-crucify Christ over and over. This completed work that was looked forward to from the Old Testament, looking forward to the hope of a Messiah, and those of us now who look back to the hope of Christ upon the cross, this one immensely important, vital, completed work by Jesus upon the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection has been completed. And yet there's another sense in that the church is being redeemed. As the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ goes out to the nations, there's a progressive spreading, something that started in Jerusalem with just a handful of people locked in an upper room, afraid for their lives, has now pressed out to all the nations. And we send out missionaries, we go ourselves, we pray for those, we give of our funds that people might be supported in foreign lands to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the church might progressively be brought in. But then there is a final sense that we will finally be redeemed on that last day when Jesus Christ comes. That last day when he comes. In verses 18 and 22, it talks about possessing the kingdom. And I believe this is this final word. When all of this is completed, when your salvation is completed, when all the peoples, all the nations of the world that the Lord God would bring to himself and all of those are completed and all of his work in the world is completed, Jesus will come again. And there will be a time where the dominion of the kingdom of God is possessed. It is no longer being received, but it is possessed. And this goes to dominion. In verse 27, it says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven. That's as all-encompassing of a statement as you can make. Everything shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. What are we to say about this? What does this mean? that the kingdom of God is given to the redeemed people of God. Well, there's always been only one dominion which belongs to the triune God. He gives portions of that dominion in ways that he chooses. And I think we cannot understand this if we don't go back to the beginning. Because we're looking at the end. We, as we look at the beginning, it'll help us to also understand the end. I want to read to you this morning from Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 through 28, because I tell you, if you stumble over the creation of the world and you do not believe that God began this world, you will also not believe that he's going to end it. If you don't believe that he created it once, you, don't, you will not believe that he's going to create it again. And if you don't believe that God gave dominion to human beings to begin with, you'll never believe that he is going to give dominion to them again and in a different way. But in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, God says this, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Have you ever noticed that before? That we are to have dominion over the earth. Humanity, male and female, created in the image of God, given dominion over the world. 
there's something to this, something very, very important to this, that we as the creatures of God, of all the creatures of God, there are creatures that are much bigger and much more physically powerful than us, but human beings have been created in a special way and endowed with a soul. And we are given dominion over this earth to subdue it and to cultivate it by the authority of God. It's the authority to go and to tame the wild. There are some today that would have us think that human beings are like a tick on the back of the earth. But this is not what is given to us in scripture. We are instead given a particular place to cultivate the earth. And this is authority to use the creative power that God has given us to make things better. This is not the authority to destroy and wreck the earth, but to improve it. And we look at humanity thousands and thousands of years after the creation and look at all the things that have come to pass through the creative abilities of human beings. It's absolutely astonishing. In the early 1920s, people thought at the World's Fair, there's nothing that could possibly be invented more than beyond what has been invented. It's un we're unbelievable as human beings that we've come up with these things. And that was the 1920s. And here we are 100 years ago, we've gone from the Model T to intergalactic space we've got a, i don't know if you've read about the space telescope that's out there lately a million mile orbit it's absolutely astonishing you should go read about the web telescope if you haven't read about it this is the creative ability of human beings but when sin came into the world hate and greed and murder and rebellion against god entered into the world and with that the dominion of human beings is misused to destroy each other to destroy the earth and that a gradual destruction of the earth sets in. I am one that believes that Christians should be those that lead in conservation efforts, that are very much interested in the beauty of the world and the preservation of the world because we care about the world that God has created, and we take seriously the stewardship of that earth to where we don't destroy it. But Christians have a different understanding of the world that we cannot reverse the decaying process of the world because it is in decline and it will not be reversed until the Lord God himself reverses the curse of the world and sets things as they should be. In Philippians, I'm sorry, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, we have a little bit of an of a insight into this as to what is going to happen as the world continues to decline under the decay of sin until the Lord Jesus finishes his purposes of salvation in the world and brings unto himself all of his people. Let's see, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which the righteous dwells, in which righteousness dwells. God created the world once, and the Bible tells us that he will recreate it again. Uh, Revelation 21 talks about the new earth, a new heavens and a new earth. 
and all of the decay and the, the trash and the garbage and all of the things that have built up in this world will be made new again. And this is the hope of Christians. That not us, we will not be able to save this world, but God will save his people out of this world. And that he will judge it and there will be a new world yet to come. And in this new heaven and in this new earth, there will be dominion given to God's people. That there will be a living and an acting in this world. I cannot begin to explain this to you. If I did, it would be pure speculation. But what I can tell you is it's not going to be us sitting on a cloud playing a harp forever. I'm serious. Like some of the depictions of heaven, that's not what it's talking about. Our salvation for eternity is not to do nothing. But there is something that God will give us to do in this world. And we will see what that is, but I will tell you and assure you that it will be good. And it's something that will be fulfilling. And it's something that will be together with the redeemed and together with Jesus our Lord. Living forever in his presence apart from the presence of sin. And I tell you as we begin to close today that those who teach that this reality of heaven will come to earth before the end of all things are also deceived. There are some that tell us that heaven will come to earth and that if we work just hard enough that perhaps the decay of this world will reverse itself and become heaven on earth. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there will be judgment and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so until the Christian is called to persevere, you and I are called, even though we may feel greatly worn out by this world, and if you're anything like me, there are days when you come home and you feel worn out by this world, and you think, I just, man, I, this is just, this is, this is too much. It's wearing me out. We have to fix our eyes on heaven. That's one of the great purposes of this passage, is that it might give us hope to endure if you go and read the second and third chapters of Revelation, it talks over and over again about enduring and to the end that we might receive a crown of life. A passage like this gives us a glimpse to the future, a glimpse of hope and of wonder and of majesty that we might not lose heart in the future. But my question for you today is do you have a place in the kingdom of God? As you hear me this morning, do these things sound foreign to you? Do you know that you have a place in the kingdom of God? This comes from loving Jesus Christ as your savior, believing in Jesus and believing that his kingdom is in fact coming and that you are praying for its coming and that you believe that your sins are forgiven and that you are justified before this great holy God because of the work of Christ on the cross. Are you chasing after this dying world? Are you trying to make your own truth, which is really you living in your own fantasy? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And by grace, through faith, may you come into the kingdom of God today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. There are mysterious things here, things that Daniel himself did not understand, things that I believe we will not fully understand until we have seen them from the other side. Just like Daniel did not fully understand what these four kingdoms were about because they were things yet to come, but we have now seen these kingdoms of the world rise and fall, and we have seen the kingdom of Christ inaugurated in the coming of Jesus. And so it increases our faith that he will in fact come again. And though we are worn out ourselves and other believers throughout this world by the troubles and the struggles and the dealings of this world, we fix our hope and our eyes upon heaven. 
and the hope of Jesus Christ and the completion of the salvation of God and the coming of the kingdom of God and that one day these things will pass away in judgment but by grace through faith that we will escape judgment because of Christ Jesus our Lord who has borne the price of our sins in his own body on the cross. And we look forward, Lord, we seek after heaven. We long for that place where our citizenship rests ultimately and for the heart that wants to be near Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray, stoke up in us a love for heaven and a desire for the things of God that we might not love this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.